anyone that watched the last hour of play will be able to tell you and agree with you on one thing. Test cricket is certainly not boring. Tense, nervy, dare I say it, exciting. On with the show. Hello, it's me, Peter, and today I'm talking to you about cricket. Specifically, I'm talking to you about the recently concluded fourth Ashes Test between Australia and England that has finished in Sydney. After five, yes, five days, we finally made it to the full number of overs. The two sides have played out a thrilling draw. And there aren't many sports where draws can be considered thrilling, are there? The whitewash is now off the cards, thank goodness, and this mammoth tour is now coming to its final conclusions. Let's review this match, starting with teams and the toss. With weather around and a touch of grass on the pitch, there was talk about the possibility of bowling first. In the end, Cummins won the toss and chose to bat and was backed up with this opinion when Captain Root also suggested he would have done the same. To be honest, I was just glad I wasn't staying up to watch another English batting collapse. England went with the mostly unchanged team, Ollie Robinson being swapped out for Stuart Broad. In terms of batting, England didn't really have much choice but to keep the same lineup. No one on the bench is really going to be dramatically improving this team by this stage of the series. Stuart Broad, meanwhile, had been on record about his disappointment not to be a major part of the team in the first three tests. Rightly, he felt that he hadn't been given the chance to impact the series before it had been lost. He was a caged tiger, or a tiger uncaged. He was fired up, basically. Australia also went unchanged, Usman Khawaja coming in for the Covid positive Travis Head. Cameron Green was the only batsman yet to pass the 50 mark at the start of the test. Australia had been bowled out only twice before Sydney. Essentially, they've batted well. Scott Boland kept his place. After all, he is the best bowler in the world and managed figures of 6 for 7 on debut. Of course, he kept his place. There was talk of Swepson coming into the side. However, the extra amount of grass on the pitch and the forecast kept the spinner on the sidelines. So, Australia went first and made another 400 plus score. Without being bowled out, it's becoming a little bit of a theme in this series. Australia make big runs in their first innings, usually past 400, and then they declare. Although funnily enough, it does appear that England have found a way past the danger three of Warner, Smith and Labuschagne. Smith, albeit did manage a half century in this first innings, but Wood, Broad and Anderson took a wicket each to leave Australia at 117 for three. Not too bad for England, eh? Enter Usman Khawaja. For some, it was a surprise to see him out of the team in that first test for Travis Head. 
Head has obviously taken his chance, averaging 62 in the series, but man of the match Kawaja slotted into the batting order like he'd never been away. His first innings 100 was pure class. The second innings 100 was aggression. The first was precision. He drove through the covers well, picked singles accurately and held the innings together. Supported later on by Cummins and Stark, Australia made 416 for 8, declared. England bowled okay. Uncaged Tiger, Stuart Broad took 5, perhaps signalling to the selectors what they'd been missing in Melbourne and especially Brisbane. The commentary across the five days kept going back to that first test and just imagining what the series would have been like had Broad managed to have a go at Warner on that first morning. We can only dream. <sighs> only dream. <clears throat> Sorry. So England bowled okay. Wood was great again. Anderson, his usually miserly self. Stokes okay until his injury. Jack Leach may be perhaps a little disappointed. There were a few too many short trackers to help Kawaja settle early in his innings. Oh, and there was a drop. I forgot about that one. I wish I hadn't remembered, to be honest. England were given a horrible 15 minutes to bat on the second day, with Crawley edging behind, only to be relieved by the no ball. Aussie fans, Welcome to that horrible world of pain. It sucks, doesn't it? At 36-4 on the third day, England reached a nadir of awful in a seemingly endless stream of awfulness. The memories of Melbourne were drifting lazily back into the minds of spectators. Were England going to be bowled out cheaply again? Well, England didn't make 300 again, but they made more than 68. Stokes made a punchy and typically counter-attacking 66, but the day certainly went to Johnny B. I've spoke a lot about his ability to make 30-odd, look good for 30-odd, and then get out. But today there are no jokes. He counter-attacked alongside Stokes, then Wood, to firmly keep England in the contest. Without his 100, the first by any tourist in this series, England would have certainly lost the game. I really like Bairstow. I've spoke about his utility for England way back in these podcasts when I was just a wee emoji. Like then, I would say that if he is to be a part of the test circuit for the future, he needs to have a consistent run. Stop being given the gloves, then having them removed. Stop being picked, then not being picked. Stop being moved across the batting order. He bats at six, that's it. Australia bowled well again, take, uh, sorry, Boland taking another four to be the pick of the bowlers. Although what was impressive for England was that Lyon went at 5.17, mainly thanks to Stokes and Bairstow. They managed to disrupt the rhythm of the Aussie attack, picking on the man that is meant to offer them control. England didn't last long on day four, uh, Leach playing a quite frankly naff shot that basically left Bairstow with no one else to bat with. Oh, and he had a really poorly finger too. Australia came out with the intention to make quick runs and take the game far away from England. With the weather around, Cummins needed to leave enough time to get a big enough score 
and to take 10 wickets. And oh, blimey, did he come close. Australia made 265 for 6, declaring before Leach could bowl his hat-trick ball. There was a bit of controversy around this on social media, but why? They don't have to allow him to have the chance to take three wickets. It's Carey that I feel most sorry for. Out for a golden duck and your team declare the very next ball. Did he really have to go and bat? Also, isn't Leach still technically on a hat-trick? Answers on a postcard, please. Anyway, Kawaja made another 100 and therefore gave the Aussie selectors a real headache before the next game. He said he's only prepared to play the one game in the series and he's happy with that, but I'm not so sure. Also well played Cameron Green, who made sure that all the Aussie batsmen have passed 50 this winter. England rode out the final few days of day four, final few minutes of day four should I say, and in the meantime collected England's highest opening partnership this series. This partnership didn't last long though on day five, as Hamid was caught behind for just nine. I'm not sure what England will do going into Hobart. My instinct is to say that Hamid will stay and the opening partnership problem will be addressed in the Caribbean. It would not be fair to Burns to bring him back for just one final game in this series. Crawley, meanwhile, played some excellent shots during his 77 and he has built some credit in the bank for future tests. Milan will be disappointed with his four and that early momentum that he had in Brisbane and Adelaide looks like it's gone out the window. Root just looks tired. He held out for a while, but perhaps you can forgive him for only making 24. Next came England's walking wounded in Stokes, Bairstow and Butler. Stokes once again fought hard despite the side strain. I would put him on that plane with Butler who is going home with a broken finger. There is no point risking a further injury that keeps him out of the Windies tour as well, or restricts him in the Windies tour at least. Bairstow hung around to keep the draw on the cards, and Leach shows an excellent resilience too. Without England, or sorry, with England though, <sighs> nothing is easy. Both fell late in the day and left Anderson and Broad to bat out two last terrifying overs. Stokes couldn't watch, and quite frankly, I couldn't watch. I'm sure lots of you couldn't watch either. Eventually though, Anderson defended the last ball and with just one wicket left, England survived the day. Just. Australia played the better cricket overall, but England had held out. In the end, a good result for Root and Co after three matches of complete misery. I feel happy as an England fan today. We fought at least for a result of some kind. Next time, next time I'm speaking to you, we will be previewing the final test of this series, the Day Nighter at Hobart. For now though, that's going to be all from me, apart from a quick plug before I go. Because these videos are now available as podcasts on Spotify. If you'd rather listen to me than see this mug, then head over to that platform using the link on my channel. Alternatively, if you're on Spotify now, head to YouTube if you don't want to see this, if you do want to see this mug, should I say. Thank you for sticking with this podcast and please like, subscribe, share and comment on this channel. Until next time, sports fans. Bye.